Just a little pre-warning for our listeners that today's episode contains a little bit of swearing. Hello, I'm Ashley. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode 9 of Choose Film Podcast, where we take a deep dive into a random film chosen by our guest host. Each season, you know that we pick a particular theme and then the, the host will pick a film to fit that theme. So we've done six episodes on the first features theme. And to start off this season, we decided to go with the theme of feel-good films. Since a lot of the country's in lockdown... We're coming up to Christmas and I feel like this is just what we need. We need to be watching these feel-good films, good vibes, good energy and just, yeah, just having fun. So today we are joined by my lovely friend Scott Coltman and he has decided that we're going to take a look at the film Mrs Doubtfire. So Scott, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much to have me on. You're welcome. That was really bad English. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, it's okay. Um, What a start. (laughs) Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yes. Uh, I am 25 and single. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Me and Ashley went to college together and I am a performer and creative. I've also got my own company uh, alongside Johnny Grant called BBD Productions. Um, So yeah, I do a bit of producing, directing, acting, voiceover, a bit bit of everything. A a master master of, uh, what is it? The master of trades? No, what is it? Jack of all trades. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Edit this. Jack of all trades. (laughs) Master of none. <laughs> I would disagree with that. I wouldn't say you're a master of none. I would say you're a master of them all. Anyway, moving on, why did you choose Mrs. Doubtfire? Tell us a little bit more about this. Uh, I love Robin Williams. Robin Williams is an icon, and I'm just obsessed with all of his films. I think the first film that I saw that he was in was Flubber, and I loved Flubber. Yes. Uh, and then I think, I think the second film I saw was Mrs. Doubtfire. And I was just so surprised that it was him. And he's just an absolute chameleon. He was just an incredible comedian and performer and entertainer. And whether he was on a chat show or if he was just on his stand-up tours or if he was in a movie, whatever, he was just incredible at it. So it had to be something that he had done. And Mrs. Doubtfire, I think it's just a classic. It fits the feel-good theme. Um, I mean, granted, it's not necessarily the cheeriest films at parts because it's also about divorce and family issues and all those other things. But when at the end of it, you come out of it feeling pretty uplifted. And you also just enjoy Robin Williams' performance as well. Definitely, definitely. I would say most people in the world surely should feel like this is a feel-good film, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'd say so. I don't think anyone can watch something that Robin Williams has done and not enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, I would say so too. So, for any of our listeners who maybe haven't seen Mrs Doubtfire, go and watch it, but here's a little synopsis for you. So, Daniel Hillard 
has been divorced and he's troubled because he has little access to his children so he hatches an elaborate plan. With help from his creative brother Frank he dresses as an older British woman and convinces his ex-wife Miranda to hire him as a nanny. Mrs Doubtfire, his alias, wins over the children but when both Daniel and his nanny persona must meet different parties at the same restaurant his secrets may be exposed. So, let's get started. Let's dive into this film. And before we do that, we should probably do the ratings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I always forget something on the podcast. Always. That's what makes it fun. I know, yeah. We can't can't re-rate it if we've not rated it at the start. Goodness me. So, I'm going to give this film a 7 out of 10. Uh, Scott, I, I see your face. For our <laughs> listeners, we're doing it on Zoom and I feel like I've just really disappointed Scott. But yeah, I've given it a oh. 7 out of 10. It wouldn't have been my rating when I first saw it, but this time it's going to be a 7 out of 10. I wanted to give it a 9 out of 10. That's not that far away from a 7. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it's also closer to the 10 than a 5. So <laughs> True. And Gary, what about you? I'm with Scott on this one. I have got 9 out of 10. I absolutely yes. love this film. Robin Williams and anything just melts my heart and makes me smile. And when this film came out, the 90s comedies were just great. You had like Mrs. Doubtfire, Jumanji, Liar Liar, The Mask, and they all just make me feel warm inside. And as we get closer to Christmas, these are the type of films you should have on, you know, these warming comedies. Yeah. Gary, me and you are going to get on great. (laughs) Hello, dear! Robin Williams. A man who'd do anything. Back off! Got a time here. To see his kids. Mrs. Doubtfire. My first day as a woman, I'm getting hot flashes. So let's get started now with our points. Um, I'm going to jump in there first and my first point on the film is Robin Williams' range. This actor is just incredible. I know we've already touched on it but in the first scene when he's doing all the voices of the different characters you get it then. How can he jump between all these accents so seamlessly without... nothing slips. He is just... I mean, even just talking about his vocal range is incredible. And you see it again when he's talking to the um, liaison officer and then again when he's playing with the dinosaurs. The range of accents he can do is incredible. And then taking on Mrs Doubtfire as well, compared to that character of Daniel Hillard, they are both very, very different. And I just think that how seamlessly he jumps between characters, voices is incredible and as an actor it's something that I'm completely in awe of so yeah I had to I had to mention that and not only that how can someone do a perfect Scottish accent like that because that doesn't happen that's the only thing that annoys me it I know this is uh that shall I leave this to later on no no go for it go for it the only thing that annoys me is they say that uh Mrs Doubtfire is just from England 
Yeah. I'm like, no. And and then Piers Brosnan's character says something along the lines of, oh, wait a bit, is it you're from? Your accent's a little mixed up. I'm like, well, Scotland, that's why you're from up the way. Scotland, not England, Scotland. Yeah. At first, I kind of thought it was a joke or something. But actually, no, they just refer to it as England. And even when I was looking up the synopsis as well, um, to read out, it says, like, British uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. And I just think, like, why is it not addressed that she's, like, definitely Scottish? <laughs> uh, Piers Brosnan's character, Stu, is clearly English, so he should be able to go, you're Scottish. Like, right yeah, away. absolutely. Yeah. Maybe that's just because we're all sitting in Scotland saying, like, maybe <laughs> we're just trying to be patriotic, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, so that that was my first point. His His range is just absolutely incredible, and... Yeah, they kick us off with it straight from the start, which I loved. Yeah, no, I'd completely agree with you. It's one of the points that I had down as well. It's it's just says Robin Williams because it's literally, as you're saying, jumping between the voices and adopting the characters, the stance and everything. One of my favourite stories of him doing this film is he wanted the makeup and the costume and everything to be so believable that he actually walked around San Francisco dressed up as Mrs Doubtfire um, doing some shopping to see if it was believable. But what he did is he sort of pushed it a bit. He went into an adult bookstore and picked up, like, a book that probably, you know, the the Fifty Shades of Grey of the 90s (laughs) and put it down on the desk and apparently the look on the clerk's face was just so taken aback that then he was like okay this is gonna work and i love that and just the fact that that was also his pure dedication to the part as well there's that he he would apparently take three or four takes as written as the script is written and he would do it as that and then he would do another 15 takes where he was just allowed to play and improvise so it's one of those things it's one of those films you don't know how much is actually scripted and how much was just his genius yeah and he's just yeah. taking control of that role and making sure like he wouldn't settle for a costume or the prosthetics that just didn't work or were you know half arsed he was going the whole way and it works it works you totally believe mrs outfire when you see her i also read somewhere as well that <clears throat> robin williams actually his own son didn't recognise him until he spoke so he went and met his son and sat down at a table let's say it was let's say it was them going out for dinner he basically sat down as Mrs Doubtfire and his son was like who the hell is this what what is going on here and then when he spoke he realised it was his dad and I thought that was just just brilliant Um, just talking about the improvisation of some of the stuff that Robin Williams does in it the social worker scene when he first meets the social worker the liaison officer when she goes, have you got any special skills? And he says, I do voices. She's like, you do what? And he's like, I do voices. And then there's this montage of him going through all the different characters. But what's great is the camera never cuts away from him. And they almost make this conscious decision not to show the social worker's face until the very end. And I think that works beautifully because we as an audience sit there in stitches laughing at him, making all these weird comedic voices then it cuts to her stone cold face we then jump from laughing at him to then feeling really awkward with him and it's a real nice way of using editing to get that point across yeah absolutely and it it, it also shows his skill later on in the um 
when he goes to see his, his brother and his brother's partner, when he goes to actually eventually start to get the makeup and the prosthetics done for Mrs. Doubtfire, watching it for the very first time years ago, I remember being like, oh, this is hilarious. He's playing all these different women and they're trying out all these different looks. Watching it now, I was like, that's purely been put in just so he can play and show how talented that he is because in the scene before he's on the phone call as Mrs. Doubtfire, he's already got the voice and he already knows who it is, but suddenly he's dressed up as like Barbara Streisand singing Don't Rain My Parade and everything. <laughs> like It's ridiculous, but you, you don't necessarily, unless you're going back and watching it again to analyse it more to do something like this, you don't question it and it's just his genius and you're laughing along with it and it's incredible. Yeah, I think yeah. The, the directors and producers and stuff were so right to give him so much freedom and ability to play with things because I really think it would be a different film if that wasn't the case. Yeah, That scene as well, uh, with they're trying all the different outfits and masking that on, it's it actually almost turns into a bit of a musical, right? <laughs> it's a bit strange. Yeah. It kind of you actually expect him to get up and start like choreographing a dance or something. <laughs> Definitely. Um, so Gary, what is your first point on this film? Daniel, aka Mrs. Doubtfire, as a dad. I spoke about this in the very first episode about how at this era of comedies it's been about the father redeeming himself so again to use ones liar liar jingle all the way big daddy the santa claus but this isn't that at all robin williams truly loves his kids and is a good dad in this even the judge says obviously you're a loving father there's a line something like that and the fact that he goes to these crazy crazy lengths that proves how much he is a loving father. And I think the film is just trying to tell us that if we spoke to each other more rather than strangers, then maybe these relationships would work out better, whether that be a husband and a wife or a parent and a child. He is such a good dad from the start and he shouldn't have to he shouldn't have to prove that to anyone because there's nothing in this film, at least that we can see that shows he's a bad dad. Yeah. Yeah. The only the only thing that, you know, obviously sets off the divorce is that big, huge party. But really, he's just wanting his son to have the best birthday party ever. And he is rooting for these kids. He's right behind the kids the whole time. And honestly, him creating the nanny figure and persona so that he can just be around his kids more is so heartwarming. And... Yeah, I just he is a he is a good dad and a lot of the times in the film I did really feel for him because the mum was pretty horrible about him. Yeah. For so that's much my, of that's, it. that's my second point. But yeah, but he also doesn't he doesn't even try to turn the kids against the mum at all or anything like that. And he doesn't even try to turn the kids against the new man, this Stu as well you know he's just trying to see his kids and that's what it comes down yeah. to yeah i mean there's a few there's a few lines which i'll come on to in one of my points where he he does have a little dig at um at Stu, but do you know he's not he's not um and he obviously like kind of discourages uh the mum as well from going too far with him but yeah he's still he's all in it for the kids and he doesn't he doesn't really bring that up as much with the kids and 
highlight it there. No, I, I just think that the it shows that Robin Williams was a really great father figure as well, I think, because the, the connection that he genuinely seemed to have with those kids was so caring and so loving. You could actually see how much he cared about those kids. I think that's one of the best things about Robin Williams as well. He says it all with his eyes. There's so much else going on in there that's just complete truth. And um, one scene in particular where his smallest child asks about um, getting Stuart Little read to read to her. And when then her mum's like, no, we, we're going now, we need to leave. The change in his eyes of just going from that slight glimmer of hope to then just, I can't believe that she's trying to take them away from me. Yeah, it's just heartbreaking in that instant. Yeah, and even when um, the kids are over at Daniel's for dinner and the mum comes early to pick them up and um, she says something like, oh, you've got, you've hired help or you've hired a cleaner or something. And he's like, no, I did this. Like, I did this. And he, he wants to be able to be there for his kids and I genuinely think that he would 100% go straight back to her, jump right in where they left off in order to be with his kids every single day. Um, So I just think he was trying everything for that and I loved it. Yeah, I would agree completely. Robin Williams has this sadness in his eyes and like almost everything he's in and he just gets me so emotional watching him on screen. I like and I don't know if he's just got really sad eyes or he's just that good an actor, you know. Yeah. <laughs> or was yeah. was that good an actor? Sorry. Yeah, I mean that's the that's the whole thing as well, isn't it? Is sometimes the the funniest people or the biggest clowns can be the the saddest actually inside. Um, and I think he he knew that as well. Like whether he had been struggling with mental health all of his life or if it was just later on in his career, but when you see that sadness in his eyes, I completely understand, I agree with you. It just gets you because it's just so heartfelt and so true that in that moment, it's just all connected from his eyes. Yeah, completely. Uh, so Scott, going on to your first positive point, I know we've spoken a lot, we've all jumped in, but what's your first sort of positive point on the film? And make it feel good. It's supposed to be a feel good show. (laughs) (laughs) His sad eyes. (laughs) Um, um, Well, one of my massive points was Robin Williams. I think that's why I jumped in on that point so much there. Uh, But I'll just go to another point, which is just reading more into the whole production side of things like with the director and with the writers and then obviously with Robin Williams and the rest of the cast it's a really strong team uh like I didn't realize until I started digging more like what these other directors and writers had done like just how much they had been involved with and other classic films that I love so much like um the director Chris Columbus he he also directed the first couple Harry Potter films uh he also directed Home Alone 1 and 2 and he directed the movie version of Rent uh, Rent I'm not that big a fan of but the other ones like I really enjoy and then you look at the cast it's got Robin Williams it's got Sally Field Piers Brosnan Harvey Firestein like incredible ensemble cast like incredible directors producers writers like you see they're sort of back 
catalogue of work, but then also what they go on to do. That just makes me love the film even more, to see the people that have been involved with it and how much care and attention and detail. Yeah, you can tell it is such a strong team. You know, you couldn't have a film like this without an amazing makeup team, costume cha- uh, team, design team as well. Even just, like, setting it in San Francisco. It's such an iconic, iconic setting. Um, bringing it all together there with the costumes, with the incredible makeup, incredible direction, the music in it, it's just, it all comes together. It's very well-rounded. And it's evident that the whole team are great. Um, so going on from that, my second point, <laughs> I initially wrote down Matilda because I know her as Matilda. <laughs> I was obsessed with that film. I thought I was Matilda. Like she is an incredible young actor, and I she went away from acting after. I don't know if it was after Matilda, um, or what. I know she. I don't think she does acting now, but. The character of Natalie is just brings the innocence of the kids in so, so nicely. Um, especially when Daniel is first leaving and she says, you can't leave now. We're in the middle of Charlotte's Web. And like, that's the most important thing to her right now. Like, but we're reading a book together and that's important to her. And she doesn't understand the scale of it. And yet it hurts her so much that her dad is going. Um and she says like when Daniel says like oh grandma can read you the books or something and she says grandma doesn't do the voices and she smells funny like it has to be it has to be you and it's just that childhood innocence and I'm like yes this is what we need because obviously the oldest child what's her name again oh I can't remember cannot Um, remember oldest daughter yes the oldest daughter and Chris they are obviously a little bit more in the know. The oldest daughter is not uh, really dealing well with the divorce or with Mrs. Doubtfire, but um, Natalie is just a gem. And I can't even remember where it comes, but I wrote down the line um, where she's so passionate and she shouts, we're his goddamn kids too. And you know she's got yeah. it from her dad. <laughs> and it's just, it's just a lovely, lovely father-daughter relationship there so innocent and just really really heartwarming um yeah I loved her character and I think the film needs that innocence to then bring in just how good a father Daniel actually is yeah absolutely it's it's completely the innocence of that youngest child syndrome that because she is so young she doesn't necessarily understand everything that's going on um whereas the the older the older kids Lydia which I think is the older Lydia Lydia and uh, Lydia and Chris um they they kind of clock on and then obviously there's the the, the reveal where uh, Chris goes to go to the bathroom and <laughs> sees Mrs Doubtfire uh relieving herself <laughs> but from an unusual position um <laughs> The the Natalie still always throughout the whole film she she always has that um, innocence and, and sort of cluelessness and it's when they're in the restaurant spoilers if you've not seen it uh, when they're in the <laughs> restaurant and uh, he's just 
gone on that whole I'm on my way dear and all that stuff and then his makeup his makeup comes off the look on Natalie's face it's almost like she had just been told that Santa doesn't exist mm-hmm. yeah and it's mm-hmm. that's also another point where as much as it's a feel good film it is that's kind of heartbreaking to just see all that enjoyment that she had with Mrs Doubtfire and the memories and all these things just sort of gets taken out of her out I of the shock I think there's wonder in her eyes there as well because it's like, oh, like I've had all these good times with Mrs. Doubtfire, but it's actually my dad. I don't know what's going on, but there's a bit of joy as well as sadness. It's like she's lost a friend but gaining one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. yeah, it's 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 weird. And just talking about that scene where the boy Chris and Lydia work out that Mrs. Doubtfire is in fact their dad. <laughs> what do you think about that scene now? I mean, I don't even know if that would get filmed now. Like, I don't know if that'd be allowed in like today's society. Yeah. You know, one of my um, points that actually took points off the film for me was that things haven't aged well in this film. There's certain things. There's certain. Um, the phone calls, um, I don't know if it's from some of the applicants to the nanny job. They don't uh-huh. age well. They're they're not right in today's times. Um, but I understand that in 1993, maybe other things seemed more acceptable. But yeah, that is one of the things. I think that scene would have been done very differently, finding out that the dad is... Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. So yeah, I would say that's yeah. that's one thing that brought it down for me. But I understand that it's a completely different time. It's what yeah, almost twenty years old. I think the bits that lets it down now is they try and attack her with a tennis bat, a tennis racket. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's where it, it feels a wee bit. But yeah, I was just curious on your thoughts on that. No, it's interesting that you bring that up as well because um, because with the amount of times and takes that Robin Williams was allowed to play with there were actually I think three or four different versions of the film uh, depending on which one they wanted to release as to how tame or how extreme they wanted to to push it so it would be interesting to see what the most extreme one was and then what even the the most tame one was in comparison to to what it is just now which is sort of I think this happy medium collection of it's at the time, everything was fine, and now there's some things that you're like, oh, okay, um, didn't that didn't sort of clock when I was watching this, however many years ago. Uh, but now it's like you've said, currently it's, uh, yeah, things. Some things haven't aged. A couple of the voices and things haven't aged well. Um, but I think the most of the the pra- the physical jokes and the comedy are all still okay, mm-hmm. like, I don't think there's anything there that I would be, oh, I, I don't know about that just now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Ooh. So, Gary, on to your second point. Yes, yeah, so my second point is the mum and the kids. For me, the mum is the problem in this film, 100%. We don't get enough insight into why she hates her husband so much. I wanted, if we were going to understand her way of thinking, we needed to know more. It's it's unusual because the mum seems to be the workaholic and she's the one that's not seen her kids that much because she's always at work. But she's the one that stops him seeing the kids when he seems to be, obviously he's out of work or he keeps getting sacked. But if he's at home more and he's having this loving relationship with these kids, then why is that a problem, you know? Anyway, like, 
there's other things she does as well, like she kicks him out of the house before he's got anywhere else to go. That's a big house. Yeah. Like <laughs> there is other bedrooms in that house that he could just go and sleep in. Um, and then when he gets his a place of his own, she shows up an hour early to pick up the kids and then she slags his house as well. Yeah. And um even Daniel says as well, like towards the end, like you let that judge pass that despicable sentence. And what was her reason for it? I was angry. I mean, that's not... She's just... It's really weird because I do love that actor, but she actually is quite a bitch in it. And I've never really noticed that growing up watching it, but this this viewing, I was like, oh, I don't know if I like you very much. Yeah, she acts on impulse and does not really think about what she's doing and the impact it has on other people because as well straight away she brings Stu into the the kids lives and oh Stu wanted to meet the kids so then now he's meeting the kids and it just seems like a lot of time is not really taking over things and as you said we only really see the one um the one party scene that puts her over the edge and yeah Daniel's like quit his job or whatever but we're not really given enough to think, oh, okay, this is why they're getting divorced. We just think, right, she's made that decision, that's it. We're going with it. Yeah. 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 I would agree that that it's now when you mention it, looking at it, at something I hadn't thought about when I first watched the film and even that time when I was just sort of watching it and enjoying it because I knew it and I was like, oh, that's the story. That's what happens. But you're so right. You you don't find out enough. And it would it'd be interesting to even see, like, the, the film, you know, it's got a man dressed up as a woman that's convinced his ex-wife that he's a nanny from Scotland and can look after the kids. There's no reason why they couldn't of maybe shown some sort of flashbacks or something to other ridiculous outlandish things that he's done uh, just to show why the party is the last straw. Um, I don't know. There could have... There, yeah, right. There could have been other things that could have happened to then push it to that level. Yeah. And one other thing on that is I like how the parents don't get together at the end. Or we don't we don't find out if the parents get together because it's not it's, that's not the story. It's about Robin Williams. Well, it's about Daniel and his relationship with his kids. It's not about the marriage. And I like how they don't even they don't even put a hint out that they get together again. You know. Yeah. And that's that's okay. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I like that as well. They actually never. I don't think. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Daniel actually ever likes pleads for her to take him back for her love it's all no i think it's, it's just to kids. see the kids yeah, yeah. it's always yeah. just asking for the same time and it's it's like you're saying like sally fields plays the bitch so well and it is that scene where she turns up an hour early but then she's also dropped them off an hour late so it's the the one the time that he actually gets to see them and spend time with them and he snaps at them and it sort of takes them by surprise because he doesn't normally do that but he's sort of been pushed to his limits at that point like with the fact of his employment and then moving out of his house and then the fact that the the limited amount of time that he actually gets to see his kids but then she's mucking mucking him around with all that and the whole time like she's she's sort of painted as a as a bit of a baddie but I would say that Piers Brosnan's character Stu he's almost painted as even more of the baddie just because he's he's trying to 
almost replace uh, Daniel. But well, that, that's really interesting, actually. I won't go into it right now, but I, I think I kind of disagree with Pierce Brosnan's character, Stu. I think... I'll, I'll wait, actually. I'll hold off until <laughs> okay. I get to my point. <laughs> um, so, Scott, let's go on to your next point. Uh, so, with it being a feel-good film, uh, a massive thing about how you feel and how you uh, emote with a movie and whatever else is also the music that's involved in it. And I would say that the Mrs. Doubtfire soundtrack is absolutely banging. Like, even and, and music seems to be so important throughout the whole film. Like, it opens with... Um, Robin Williams doing the, the the mock opera as such, like for the, the cartoon. And then it's just got classics like Dude Dude Looks Like a Lady, which is an absolute bot, which then goes through the montage of him sort of bonding with his kids, but as Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, and then also when it goes into that whole matchmaker sequence, uh, sequence, which, yeah, it sort of turns into the a sort of mini musical because it's got matchmaker, it's got Don't Rain On My Parade, and it's got all these other songs and anthems. Um, but even the little incidental bits of music that are, are placed in, in the scenes and in the background and whatever, it's all really uplifting of, like, even if he's just gone through a really tough time in the film it's like there's always still hope there's always still something that's going to come or get better um so re-watching it this time it was noticing all the music that was in it and how great some of it was in particular um how much that actually adds to the film mm-hmm. yeah definitely and i think there's i don't know what these songs were like at the time of the release but i mean now they're all extremely well-known songs and I'm sure they were at the time of the release as well um, and I guess there's probably a risk in using such well-known songs because people have their own memories with those they have their own takes on what those songs mean to them but putting them in this film it does yeah it, it does work there's a few songs where I'm like ah, oh, I don't know I don't know when they have like walk like a man I'm like ah I don't know if if that is right but I'm I'm not sure I need to like look into that more but i think it's just is it not it's, it's almost just plain on the, it's almost like a pun isn't yeah. it like the songs aren't really meant the songs aren't meant to match the storyline it's like listen to these lyrics and how funny they are with this man dressed as a woman and i think yeah that's about as much as they're supposed to tie in and obviously they're i guess they're upbeat and stuff like that as well because it's an upbeat film but I guess maybe the meaning of the song doesn't match the meaning of the film, but I don't think it's meant to. It's yeah. Like, I, I know what you mean. It's one of those ones about does do things age well now, but I think that still kind of works because I don't think they're meaning any harm by it, but I guess you could say that about anything nowadays. They weren't meaning harm, but I don't think the songs were to be taken too seriously in general, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, or am I just that. digging myself a hole here? No, <laughs> like, no. I, I think I'd agree with that. It's not. It's not like a musical where the songs are there to support the storytelling and meant to further the journey. The songs are there, like you said, is almost like a pun or part of the joke that it's um, just listen to these classic songs from that time period um, and look at. Robin Williams, like essentially that's what it is. Look at Robin Williams dressed up as an old Scottish woman, like 
playing football and then ends up beating up a man in the park and, <laughs> and uh, like all these ridiculous things like riding bikes and, and all these other things. And I think it's more of just part of the, the, the joke in the setting as opposed to we're, we're going to try and cause any sort of offence or something yeah. or like this yeah. is part of the story. I don't think it's anything like that. I would agree with you. Um, yeah, it's almost just like watching Robin Williams doing a one-man show and here's some content that can support that. <laughs> yeah, very yeah, true. You know? yeah. Very true. Um, so my third point is Mrs Doubtfire is on it with her responses when um i want to say is the mum's name martha or have i made that up i don't know miranda miranda that's the one (laughs) um (laughs) so when miranda says like oh you should come for dinner with us like yeah we've got a book in seven o'clock and it's like oh no it's my bingo night i can't go and it's straight on it there's no like uh oh it's uh oh bingo night absolutely on it um and when Pierce Brosnan's character says, like, oh, your accent's a little bit muddled. And she's like, oh, well, so's your tan. Um, and just, like, <laughs> straight straight back at him. Um, and as well, those little digs at Stu um, saying, like, look, Natty, that's what you call liposuction. When he's at the pool on the diving board. Um, and then under her breath when, I, th- I think, like, Stu just, like, puts his hand on her like or something I can't remember what it is but just under her breath she's like touch me again and I'll drown you bastard and then you just see this like (laughs) really sweet old lady and then that's just come out of her mouth so I just loved the writing for Mrs Doubtfire but then maybe again it wasn't the writing maybe it was Robin Williams improvisation either way those little lines make it and yeah really really witty and those are the funniest parts for me I think yeah, it'd be really interesting to see like a copy of the script and try and read the script along to watching the film to see how many dramatic like differences there is. And Jim Carrey was pretty much the same, wasn't he, when when he was doing all these comedies as well. It's kinda of like they just put on the camera and hoped for the best. <laughs> Let's see what they can get. I know, but you're you're right, it's absolutely just it's those lines and you'd like to think that some of them are written in and that he's maybe just put his own little twist on them or they've even just said oh like we need something here like what do you think or maybe it is just improv mate like who knows and I, I think it would be absolutely fascinating but it's, it's all it's all the little quips and quirks and it is his timing is just spot on always completely completely Gary what's your third point on Mrs Doubtfire okay I'm going with Stu a.k.a. Piers Brosnan. Um, to me, he is a good guy in this film. Like, so many comedies about parents splitting up, there's always this new guy on the scene. He's usually smug. He usually hates the children and the wife just can't see the faults in him. Or vice versa, it could be a new girl on the scene and the man can't see the faults. But with this, Stu, in my eyes, is actually a really nice guy. Yes, he's rich. Yes, he's got the nice car, the good looks and the good job. But he's charming and he treats everyone well, including Mrs Doubtfire. And he even says when he's at the pool to, I think it's a friend or a co-worker that he meets, that he would change his ways to raise this family and be with this woman. Like he says something like, I'm getting older now 
and I would be willing to to settle down and raise someone else's children. Yes, he calls Daniel a loser, <laughs> but he genuinely cares for them. I mean, he gets his car broken. He gets verbally abused by Mrs. Doubtfire. He gets a lemon bounced off his head at the pool party. (laughs) (laughs) And even even after he gets poisoned by Mrs. Doubtfire with a peppered prawn, like which which nearly kills him. It's just after that he finds out Daniel is Mrs. Doubtfire. And he shakes his hand and it's almost like, well played. You did as much as you possibly could to get your family back, and I'm going to shoot your hand on it, you know. And so I think there's a, a lot can be said about him as a as a character. He's he's not just in there as like the new man kind of creeping in. He's actually really nice in it. It's so true. I've seen him in such a negative light, but now that you've said that, he is actually really really nice and he's doing all that he can to fit in with this family and I just, I just can't get the image out of my head of the lemon like absolutely <laughs> bashing him on the head and then he just like keeps walking but you can tell he's in so much pain but yeah um, The only I, other film I can think of off the top of my head is um, The Santa Claus with Tim Allen Yes, I know it well in that film, the the new kind of stepdad in that, he's got the really funky, horrendous jumpers. <laughs> but he again, he's not, he's not, he's a bit, it's a bit more geeky and a bit more silly. But he's not a bad guy either, no. you know. And I think that works a lot better because it gives our protagonist a harder job to try and get back to his family. If you put someone else in there who's an absolute idiot who's rude and, like, obscene, then it would be easier for a protagonist to get back home, so to speak. But if you're putting someone who's really nice and charming in the way and caring, then that's more of a challenge for our main character. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah, you've comp- you've you've now just completely changed my mind and won me over on Stu, because uh, I just yes. always saw him... I just always saw him as a smarmy git. Like, I, I couldn't stand him. But now you're so right. Like, thinking about it, he, he is just always there, like, always trying to just do his best by Miranda and the kids. And and part of me is just always like, oh, I can't stand him. Like, hit him harder with that lemon. Like, <laughs> and, like put that paprika on his prawn. Like, whatever. Like, but I... You've won me over, like, now, now, thinking about it, he, he is actually a decent-ish guy. <laughs> I think he is very, very polite with everyone, even though Mrs. Doubtfire really, really annihilates him. Um, And he's, like, you know, when we first see him with the family, he's got Natalie on his knee, they're all having fun, like, it does look like a, a lovely picture and Mrs. Doubtfire says like what a pretty picture and you know like she's got gritty teeth and she's like fuck you but um yeah I think he he is a good guy you're right you're right thanks (laughs) Um, so Scott on to your uh, final point of the film um so I'm a sucker for some physical comedy and um there's plenty of that in this film, and one of the one of the things I'd written down was actually him getting hit in the head with a lemon at the pool party. It is beyond hysterical when the the false teeth. He's having issues with the false teeth, and they're dancing about his mouth, and that just makes me howl. Um, the even the face mask. Um, 
which I thought was genuinely part of the film, but it's not. It was just because the set lights were melting off the 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 face mask and this so, is with the cake, yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah, when um, yeah. the 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 caseworker comes over to inspect the flat, and um, she thinks that. Daniel and Mrs. Doubtfire, brother and sister, and they're living there. And, and Mrs. Doubtfire has gone to uh, make a cup of English tea, uh, <laughs> um, but then her face gets ran over because it falls out the window. Um, so she splats her face in cake. And originally, it was just meant to stand there, but because uh, sit on his face, sorry, uh, but because of the heat of the lights and everything, he just improvised around that of when it was falling off. Um, so that bit was all improvised, but I love that. It just seems, uh, it's obviously a lot to do with editing as well, like that scene of when it was dropping and making it look like it was then dropping into the cup and everything. But the timing of that is just hysterical. The whole cooking sequence is iconic when his silicone breasts catch on fire and he's smacking them with the pots and pans when he's trying to cook the dinner. Um just all all of those sequences, like even just him getting on the bus when his stocking's fallen down and it's the chat that he has with the bus driver. And bless him, the bus driver thinks that he's found his next one his next love. He doesn't have a clue. I I wanted one more scene with the bus driver that kind of wrapped up their wee story because it was like it was like two wee sketches, you know, the first one he's just kind of smelling and give him the old wink. And then the second one, you obviously see the hairy leg. And I just wanted one more to see like how the bus driver's now going to react next time Mrs. Doubtfire gets on that bus. But we never we never quite got that. I thought that'd have been a lovely wee almost side story. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. That scene as well with the the cake uh, melting, the cream melting. I actually love how when Mrs. Doubtfire leaves, the social worker takes a wee bit and like tries it on yeah. her skin. And I mean Pun intended, that actually is the icing on the cake for that scene for me. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Has anyone got any other notes or like little nitpicks? Anything you didn't like? Um, I mean, I love the the fact that he sort of works in the sort of TV and film industry and it's that sort of film inside a film thing and it's sort of in the studios and it's, it's seeing him, it's given him more chances again to play with different parts and, and voices and that whole scene where he's playing with the dinosaurs and everything and he's just having fun with that and you can see it in his face and he's just absolutely hysterical the whole time um i also just find the film like a, it's almost an attraction for for come and visit san francisco it looks great i want to go and i i want to go and see the house uh i want i want to go and travel around san francisco and just see everywhere that has been shot it's been shot so well and everything looks um just incredible just it's an advert for san francisco as much as daniel well robin williams is a great guy in this film we just need to take a minute to remember that he actually stole the dinosaur man's job he got him sat and they took his job, and nobody talks about that. Yeah. I don't think that's right. That poor wee man's been doing that job for years. Robin Williams comes in and goes, oh, he's a bit bad, isn't he? He's a bit tiring. He's putting me to sleep. And gets the guy the sack. But Jonathan Lundy was going to cancel the show anyway. True, exactly. Mm, Robin, true. Well, Daniel's kicked a lot of other people in a job. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. 
And then also that way he can then pay his rent, he can then see his kids, he's in a steady job. So I know it's one person isn't, I know one person gets fired, but ultimately he's quite old. If he's done that for a year, he's got a decent pension. He's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, true. And I don't know if I'm right on this, but uh, when the kids are watching Mrs. Doubtfire on the TV doing the chat show, uh, doing the chat show, I'm sure the door goes and the man it was the dinosaur man is playing a postman. Yeah, he but does come in. I don't, I don't know if that's even worse to then play a side part on someone's show that stole your job. I, I just I don't know how I feel about that whole ending there. I feel for the wee man. <laughs> yeah, that's well, Gary, true. Come on, that might have just been one clip. Maybe maybe Mrs. Doubtfire and the postman had a whole couple of episode specials. We'll never know. Like maybe he was maybe. in it loads and he finally found his his love, which was post instead of dinosaurs. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> Or, or in the next episode, he's like playing the janitor, or then like you know the road sweeper. Exactly, exactly. He's teaching kids about loads of different job opportunities. Um, my only, I have two little things I want to mention. Where did Euphigenia come from? How did he think of that name, like Euphigenia Doubtfire? Like he comes up with Mrs. Doubtfire so quickly from the the newspaper. But. Does he not introduce it? Does he not say that it's Euphigenia Doubtfire? Is that not when he actually goes to the house? I think when when they're on the phone, doesn't he just say, "Oh, it's Doubtfire, dear Mrs. Doubtfire." Yeah, yeah. So surely between that phone call and then her saying, "Come round to the house," he's probably done a full character background. Or yep, he's done his six steps. My other point was, it's not really a point, it's just an incredible line that makes me laugh so much and it's when they're in the dinner scene and Mrs Doubtfire's teeth drop (laughs) into the glass and he says, carpe dentum sees the teeth before he takes the teeth back out. And I just thought that's a a genius line. I forgot to mention that in my point, but it can be a point on its own. It was great. Yeah, no, that is good. And I think there's quite a lot of small lines in the film that can be missed because they're thrown in during the physical comedy. So you're paying more attention to the physical comedy, like trying to get the teeth out the cup, the way you actually miss what they're saying as they do it. Uh Uh-huh. Carpe dentum sees the teeth. Well, I have loved talking about Mrs Doubtfire and it was a great film to watch again. Um, So let's... Let's see, has anyone's rating on the film changed? Gary, start with you. Mine's, mine's staying strong, 9 out of 10. Yeah, I, 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 think, it's, I think it is still a 9 out of 10. I, I, I just love it so much, but I don't quite think it's, it's a 10 just because of the way that things have aged. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I'm just looking, I was like, oh, I'm going to put my, um, my rating up, maybe 0. 0.5. But actually... My first rating, I had written a little 0.5. So, yeah, I'm going to go for a seven, 7.5 because Robin Williams' genius absolutely carries this. But there's just, like, the little things that I don't think have aged well that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. But the film as a whole is tremendous. It's really, really a great film. Well, thank God I didn't pick Blazing Saddles. <laughs> I mean, I do like a bit of Blazing Saddles. I've only seen it once. Um, but yeah, that's. I'm not going to state my facts on that until, no, no. Some, until someone picks no. it. Go, go back and watch that, but then maybe don't do an episode on it. 
on that note, we're going to take a little break before we come back for a quick fire quiz round. Isn't that the pretty picture? Oh, oh Mrs. Doubtfire. Miranda, what a pleasant surprise to see you home so early, dear. And who is your gentleman caller? This is Stu. He just wanted to come home and meet mm. the kids. Oh, did he? Oh, this must be the famous Mrs. Doubtfire. It's a pleasure to meet you. Oh. Uh, yes, well, uh, Miranda's been raving about you. Odd. She's never mentioned you. No? No. Oh. Well, um, well, it's good to meet you. You too. Yes. I have a home in London. I was born there. What part of England are you from? Here and there, dear. All over, really. Yes. <laughs> Accent's a little kind of muddled. There, really? So. Well, so's your tan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, dear. You know, can you help me with something? I found this outside. Uh, yes, this is off my uh, Mercedes. Off your Mercedes, dear. You own that big, expensive car out there. Oh, dear. Well, they say a man who has to buy a big car like that's trying to compensate for smaller genitals, is he? But not your case, because I see that you're a strapping lad, aren't you? Lovely to meet you. You too, dear. Okay, so now for our quick fire quiz round, Scott. Are you ready? (laughs) No. (laughs) Here we go. Yeah, go for it, go for it. So I'm going to start us off. What does Stu choke on? A prawn. Yes. Name the title of the book that Mrs. Doubtfire is based on. Oh, uh, the tales of Mrs. Doubtfire. No, no, it is Madam Doubtfire. What is Mrs. Doubtfire's husband's name? <laughs> God, Paul. <laughs> Winston. Close. Who plays Daniel's youngest daughter? Um, it's Matilda. Um, it is. Ah, it is Mara Wilson. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would have given you Matilda. <laughs> um, so, how old is Chris turning on his birthday when they throw the party? Th- 13. 12. Tw- 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is the name of the film producer that Daniel attempts to meet for dinner on his wife's birthday? Um, it is. Um, it is Lundy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. When does Mrs. Selner visit Daniel to to check up on him? Which days? On uh, uh, Monday and Friday. Yes. Cool. And this one's a bit of a difficult one, but who was considered <laughs> who was considered to play Mrs. Doubtfire before Robin Williams? Oh, I mean, just because he's in the film Harvey Firestein. No, it was actually Bill Murray. You know what? He might have been quite good in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Last. Wouldn't be. Oh, sorry. Sorry. On you go. Last question from me is: What time is the dinner booking? <laughs> oh, six fifteen. It's actually seven o'clock sharp, Scott. <laughs> okay, and my last question: What's the street name where the main house is situated? Um, San Francisco. <laughs> Street. <laughs> it is Steiner Street. You said this was going to be easy. <laughs> you got some right. Yeah. <laughs> what a load of rubbish! And what the lo- what the longest quickfire 
question round you've probably ever had. <laughs> if you actually, if if you want, redo it, and I'll answer them actually quickly. And whatever comes out, you'll just need to keep in. <laughs> so on from that hilarity, let's go to our fun facts of the day. So my one is a little dance one. A world record for the longest conga dance line was set by. 119,986 people in Miami in 1988 and apparently it's known as the Miami Super Conga. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Why has no one tried to beat that yet? Too much hassle. Be- Coronavirus. It. That's it. I was going to say that. I was Pandemic. going to say it because they're social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> so mine is a space fact. So the moon is moving approximately 3.8 centimetres away from our planet every year. I see. I don't know why. I didn't look into it too much other than that, but there you go. And Scott, what's your fun fact of the day? So my fun fact is one that was told by someone else, um, and I still can't get my head around it, and that is if you lift a kangaroo's tail off the ground, they can't jump. Now, the reason I can't get my head around this is because who has been testing this out? <laughs> who's, who's been going up to a kangaroo uh, and just randomly lifting up parts of their body and seeing if they can jump or not? That's yeah, brave. That's yeah. Is it not to do with balance or something like that, isn't it? I don't know. I would guess so because... I, I don't know. Yeah, because... Also, when they go to like kick people that come too close, they lean back on their tails. So their tail must be really strong. It's yeah. like a like another leg almost. <laughs> but, but a tail. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. T- <laughs> Is that a third leg, or are you happy to see me? <laughs> No, it's a tail. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Right. So, to round off this show, what a great episode we've had. Um, To finish off, we usually name a great short film that we've watched and where our listeners can go if they want to watch it. (laughs) I'm so happy. <laughs> well, what okay. other animals do you know that can use their tail like to lean on like that? Monkeys' tails are quite strong, but you wouldn't say that they've got five legs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm going to start us off, and the short film that I am going to uh, recommend is not—it's um, a big production company, Disney. Um, so. Usually I will mention like a Scottish short film or something, but I have to mention this film because I was bawling my eyes out and it's only about three minutes long. Um, It's called From Our Family to Yours and it follows a Filipino family and it celebrates the power of family traditions and it's honestly just such a touching short film. Um, And yeah, as I said, I was bawling. So go and watch that. Um, I will put a link to where you can watch it. I... It's on. It's online. It is online. So yeah, I'll put a link to that. Gary, have you got a short film for us? I do. So mine is a short film called Switch, and it's directed by. Going to pronounce this name wrong, Joseph Picosi. Sorry, Joseph, if I got that wrong. And it's a crazy, weird sci-fi film. 
basically about a mad scientist who attempts to conduct a brain transplant with supernatural powers. Nice. And Scott, which short film are you going to share with us? So the short film that I have picked is um, Screening, which is written and directed by Christian Brassington. It stars uh, Joanna Horton, Stephen Mungin, Stephen Mangan, uh, David Tennant and Georgia Tennant. Um, And it is set on Zoom, but before Zoom was made cool. Um, So it's set four years ago before COVID was even thought about apparently um it's about a doctor scientist who has thinks that she um has got some research that the prime minister should be made aware of um about a possible disease that might take over the world uh, and it's the prime minister's uh, response to that um, so it's a bit of a dark comedy it's only about six minutes long but it's thoroughly enjoyable yeah that sounds that actually sounds really good yeah Mm, yeah excited to check that one out as well and so thank you so much scott for coming on the podcast today and can you let our listeners know where they can keep up to date with you and the projects that you're working on certainly so you'll find me on tinder uh you can also (laughs) uh, but sorry um in all seriousness um you can find me on uh twitter at Scott Coltman, I think. <laughs> um, so at Scott Coltman on Instagram under the same thing. There's not many pictures on there, but, you know, go have a wee look and a like. Uh, also, you can go and follow BBD Productions on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, all at BBD Productions. Uh, you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel where we've got some exciting productions and videos lined up this year and next with some uh, lovely faces and people involved in it so some exciting things coming up so if you could give us a follow like subscribe and all of those things that'd be great amazing yeah definitely check out bbd productions you guys are doing some amazing work that will always support um as oh i'm always, so sorry can yes. i be really big-headed uh-huh. <clears throat> also uh you could follow amdram which is a sitcom that i've started writing with my friend hazel Beatty. um Ashley was involved in quite a few of the Zoom reads that we've had for that. Um, We're also in the process of sorting out a workshop for it to be filmed. Um, So that you can also follow that on Twitter at Amdram Sitcom, um, where we also have Andy Gray involved in the project as well. So um, that's really exciting thing that's happening as well. 100%. Check that out. So... As always, I'm Ashley Sutherland and you can find me at at Ashley Sutherland on Instagram and at Ash Sutherland 4 on Twitter. And I'm Gary and you can find me at HugHGPro on Instagram and Twitter. Um, so we would love it if you could share the podcast, subscribe and please get in touch. This is obviously the first of our feel good theme but if you have another theme that you would love for us to cover please get in touch through our email and we are choosefilmpodcast at hotmail.com or you can catch us on social media as well just hit us up with any themes you want us to cover you've been listening to choose film a real retrospective podcast and join us next time with guest host katrina allen who has chosen the film bookspark to talk about Thank you so much, guys, and we'll speak to you next week. Thanks. Bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore.
Fine. 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 Fine.